All right, we are going to talk today about the superpower of gratitude. We're about to roll into the holiday of Thanksgiving, as you all know, and I I like to consider it a, a season of Thanksgiving. There's lots of reminders about this upcoming time. But in in the midst of uh, all that busyness, there is a power in slowing down and digging into God's Word and and meditating on pondering the the true depth of significance that gratitude and thanksgiving have for God's people. In Colossians 3.17, there's one of those nice all-encompassing verses that, that happen a lot. It says this, And whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, it's interesting. Let me geek out a little bit here because it's helpful at times when you get into the Greek. Uh, The writer here, the translators are emphasizing the do, do everything. But the do verb, it does not happen twice. It's just once. And so it more reads like this, in whatever you do, word or deed, all of it in the name of Jesus, giving thanks. And I like that translation, one, because it's a little bit more accurate, but two, it puts the doing and the giving thanks right as these parallels. In whatever you're doing, word or deed, everything in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God. And it just shows that (laughs) this connection that giving thanks is not like a separate category that you do on one day a year or in a season. They are right together like a parallel track of life or a, you know, right with each other on top of each other. Whatever you're doing as you're doing it, you're giving thanks. That's what it means or looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Whatever you're doing, word or deed, there is gratitude and thanksgiving flowing out of you. I mean, that's quite a picture. Whatever you do, whatever you're doing, gratitude is on your lips. That's a way of life. And it's a powerful challenge when you look at it that way, because that is a challenging way of life. But what we're going to dig into this morning is, is really seeing how this, this is part of the ethos, the ethos of the kingdom of God, being new creations, being saved by grace, being followers of Jesus, being God's people. Gratitude is absolutely part and partial as a way of life. It's part of our DNA now. It's part of who we are so that no matter what we are doing, gratitude is on our lips as we live and breathe and do. Part of that is why we see uh, these scriptures all over the place or part of the importance of gratitude and how it is part of the DNA of the people of God Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. The call to be a people and a persons of gratitude is all over the place. Let's hear a few scriptures. Right now? Right now. You could read them. I could read them. I feel like you read them. Okay. I actually would like to point out one thing first before we go into those. What I love about this verse in Colossians 3 is the organic nature just like Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, as Casey went, Casey, you know, extrapolated what the Greek was saying when it says, go and make disciples of all nations, that that word in the Greek actually doesn't mean go as in leave where you are and go. And we're not saying that God doesn't say to do that. He does. But that particular verse actually means as you are going, as you are going about life, make disciples. You don't, God calls some people to go somewhere off in the distance and to the nations, and that is absolutely a part of God's heart and super important and critical for the gospel because we need to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, but that verse is not saying that. That verse, I mean, that would be a part of it, 
But the verse itself is saying, as you are going, as you are living out your life, as you are living out your call, make disciples, make disciples. And so I feel like that verse here in Colossians has a similar sentiment to it. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. I love that it's not separate and it's not isolated. So it's not whatever you do. Now now go, go do all of these separate things in the name of the Lord. Do everything in the name of the Lord. Do everything in his presence, giving thanks. Giving thanks in his presence in the ordinary is to be a way of life that will become, as we learn to live in that place of gratitude and praise and worship in his presence, will become like a volcano in us erupting or a fountain in us overflowing as we learn in the simple and in the mundane, as we brush our teeth, as we do our dishes, as we do the things that we don't like to do, where there would be grumbling or complaining, to shift, to take those thoughts captive, to bring them into the captivity of the glory of worship, of his presence. God, you're better than this. You can, I don't like doing dishes, but God, you can give me joy as I commune in your presence. God, this drive, it stinks and there's so much traffic. But guess what? Paul said, I was just reading in Philippians, to live is Christ, to die is gain, but he counts everything as a loss for the sake of knowing Christ. So everything that is hard can be overcome as we encounter the life and the goodness in his presence and become overflowing with life and his worship and gratitude and his glory and his goodness. How did Paul overflow with power in prison? It's not because the prison was nice. It was horrid. Back in the day, prisons were nothing like the luxury penthouses that our tax dollars sometimes pay for right now. Another subject. God bless the prisoners. May there be a great awakening in Jesus' name. They're all his kids. They are his kids. But prisons didn't look anything like they look today. And Paul found a sweet space in his presence where he couldn't contain himself in a dark dungeon with no food, probably in his own excrement. Actually, I believe it, that was the case. But the glory of the Lord rose up within him. And as we choose gratitude, gratitude is aligning with his presence with his power and with his will in every situation. Why? Because when we're hopeless and when we're grumbling, we are not in agreement with what he purchased and we're not in agreement with what is in heaven and what he wants to break through in our circumstances now. We're not standing in agreement like Jesus talked about in Matthew 6. Your will be done, your kingdom come which more properly translated is, arrive now, kingdom of my Father. Come into being now, will of my Father. And it's in the imperative, and it's a command. It's not begging. It's not begging God as if he's not a good father and we're trying to twist his arm. It's standing in agreement with our good heavenly Father who's just waiting for us to stand in agreement and grow in our faith like Jesus did so that we can participate and partner with him in the birthing of the kingdom of God and see it transform earth. Do you want to do the verses? <laughs> sure. I just kind of released my fire in you to. Well, the so worship clear. prayer was answered. He provides a fire <laughs> and it flows through you. All right. So, in agreement with what uh, she's speaking of here, this heart of God for his people to live in gratitude is all over the place. Just a few scriptures. Psalm 95, verse 2. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. 
Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Psalm 50, verse 14. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Sometimes it it feels like a sacrifice. That's part of what Don's talking about. And perform your vows to the Most High. The vow is that there will be sacrifice of thanksgiving at all times. The one, and then God goes on to respond later and says, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. The one who offers thanksgiving as his worship, as his sacrifice glorifies me. If you look up that word thanks, thanksgiving, gratitude in the Bible, you'll see there's over 100 verses talking about giving thanks. So it's not just some isolated little idea once in a while. It's really from the beginning uh, to the end of the scripture. It is not meant to be a one-time event, a day, a season, once a year. It is absolutely a way of life. And we are called and designed, created to be a people of thanks. And it's meant to shine. It's part of that kingdom contrast that as we are kingdom kids, there will be kingdom contrast in our lives. In Philippians 2, it says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing or complaining, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. If we can grab hold of this and renew our minds and by the grace of God learn to live in this kind of power where we, in everything we're doing, as we're doing, in word and deed, there's gratitude on our lips. Oh my gosh, come on now, you gotta know and you gotta see and feel that you will shine in in a world that is so full of grumbling and complaining. You will stand out. Everything you're doing, there's, there's gratitude There's thanksgiving. I mean, that's, right? People are going to look at you and be like, that's a little weird. You're thankful, you're thankful, you're thankful. You're so grateful. But there is a a deep, deep spiritual reality. I'm not, this is not just like, oh, try to have positive thinking, try to, you know, be that nice person who's positive in life. And no, it's it's so much deeper than, than that. I want to take us to, really one of the most tragic passages in the Bible that contrasts gratitude and grumbling and, and, and really how it shows that when we make a choice to partner with God for what he wants for us, which is the, the way of gratitude, or we choose to go our own way, the way of grumbling, I mean, this, this story paints a picture of the difference between gratitude and grumbling is, is spiritual life and death. And that's not, it's not an overstatement. It's either like, are, are you thriving in, in the life that God has for us or, or just barely getting by, surviving, grumbling? It's a difference between the abundant life and a life of despair. And it's, it's, a, it's a tragic but uh, instructive story, and it flows very well with the, the rest of God's word about the, the power of gratitude, the superpower of gratitude, the weapon that it can be in, in the hands of God. In, in, in our hands by the power of God. But I want to step back first and dig deeper into why gratitude and thanksgiving, which really are synonymous in the Bible, why they're so important, why they're so powerful, and it's because they're rooted in grace. So the Harvard Medical School, actually, not that we go to that as our source of like truth, but there's an interesting uh, definition that they give about gratitude, which is, ve- which is very good and gets us into God's word here. So the Harvard Medi- Medical School definition of gratitude is this. The word gratitude is derived from the Latin word gratia, which means grace. With gratitude, people acknowledge the goodness in their lives. In the process, people usually recognize that the source of that goodness lies at least partially outside of themselves. So it's just interesting to note in our English word gratitude, based on the Latin, right embedded in the middle of it is the word gratia, which means grace, which is very appropriate because it's saying thanksgiving, gratitude, comes from recognizing the grace that is all around us. 
the good things in life that we are not the source of. Grace is undeserved goodness. And right along those lines, but even more importantly, the Greek word for gratitude or thanksgiving is eucharisto, which so fascinating to me, also has the word grace embedded right in the middle of it. The word charis, eucharisto, or charisteo. Charis, grace, is right in the middle of the word in the Bible for thanksgiving, for gratitude. And so it's affirming the same thing as our English word, which is that the reason we have to give thanks is grace. Thanksgiving, gratitude, is based on grace that we as followers of Christ are living in and from and swimming in all sorts of undeserved goodness that comes our way every single day. Every good thing in life is grace. And that, as we recognize that, compels us to live with gratitude. So James 1.16 is, is a great place to, to see this picture emerging. He says this, don't be deceived. That's an interesting way to start an encouragement. Don't be deceived. Don't live under a lie. My dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and perfect thing you have in life is a gift from above. Every good thing you have in life is a gift from above. That is a definition of grace. Grace means undeserved goodness. Gifts coming your way that you did not earn because of your righteousness. And Paul and, and James is saying every good thing that you have in life is grace. It's a gift. It's from your heavenly Father who just loves to give, give good gifts because it's his nature and you don't have to be in, afraid because he's never going to change. He's not all of a sudden going to become darkness and give you bad things. Rest, my child, James is saying. Every good thing you have in life is a gift of grace. We are swimming in grace. That's James's picture. You look around at life, every single good thing you have in life, it's a gift from your heavenly Father. It's grace, and therefore it should well up gratitude. You didn't deserve it. You didn't work for it. I mean, yes, we partner in obedience with it, but it's all coming back to this massive umbrella of grace, salvation by grace through faith. And every single good thing that comes with that salvation, even the, the air in our lungs, the beating of our heart, every gift from now welling all the way up into eternity. Whereas Ephesians 1 says, every blessing in heaven, every spiritual blessing in heaven is ours in Christ. So there is a lot of goodness coming our way that we don't deserve. And it starts now and it wells up into eternity. And God is delighted to give it to us. That's, that's Luke 12, 32 where Jesus says, fear not, my little flock, you're worried about what are you going to eat today? Is God going to take care of me? Is God going to clothe me? Is God, you know, Jesus says, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat and drink. Is God going to provide for you? Oh man, let me give you some good news. It is your father's good pleasure to give you his whole kingdom. That's grace. Undeserved goodness after undeserved goodness, we are swimming in it. And, and, and if we believe what the Bible says and we're followers of Jesus, then what we believe is that we deserve hell but get heaven. Jesus took on hell for us on our behalf so that we could get what he deserved, which is the, the inheritance of all of heaven. So that's, that's grace. We do not get what we deserve. So part of like the grumbling and complaining that people do is like, oh, man, I, I'm just not getting what I deserve. Those are dangerous words for a Christian. Our whole life is based on this right here. Thank God I don't get what I deserve. And that posture is never meant to change. Well, that's about heaven, but it's not about right now. No, it's all grace. 
You don't step outside of grace. I want, but I'm going to get what I deserve. Don't ask God for that, please. Keep swimming in grace. And out of that, when we learn to swim in that grace, gratitude is what overflows. Because when we can get to that posture of knowing what we do deserve, declaring that the Bible says it, I deserve hell, but I'm getting heaven and it's starting now and in increasing measure. Ah, there you are, gratitude. If you ever need to kind of stoke, you know, pump start, kick start those engines of gratitude, just go back to the basics of the gospel. What do I believe as my core reality? I, des- I believe that I deserve hell, but I'm getting heaven and it's starting now. Ah, there we are, gratitude. So I take that with me and then I take it out into all of life. And this is where it becomes our joyful challenge is to take that mindset of gratitude, of undeserved goodness and watch, watch it work in all of life. That's what James is talking about. So that you see every good thing in life and you recognize it's a gift. It's undeserved goodness. And the more and more we can live from that place, now we're going to be able to start to live out that Colossians 3.17 to say, whatever you're doing, gratitude is coming with me. Because I'm living on grace. I'm recognizing grace that every good thing that's happening to me in life is grace. And therefore, gratitude is not far away. And just quickly, to take us to the reality of what we choose to focus on as followers of God and how it can take us into that abundant life, that joyful life of gratitude in everything we do, or it can take us down a path of despair, anxiety, grumbling. Numbers 13 and 14. I'd encourage you on your own time, read the whole chapters. They are sobering chapters. We love good news around here. But good news only really becomes great when we're sober to the reality of what life is like on our own strength and apart from God. And Numbers 13 and 14 is a sobering chapter. I I would personally, I feel like it's one of the most tragic chapters in the Bible because God had rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. This is like the salvific event of the Old Testament, the Exodus. God hears their cry. They cry to God for help, and God saves them, creates a people, brings them into that covenant relationship, says, I'm going to take you into the promised land. I, I have all these beautiful promises for you, and I'm going to provide for you in the wilderness, and I'm going to fulfill my covenant to your forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You will be my people and I will be your God. So there's this great inheritance promise. There's provision happening. I mean, God has just done miracles to save them. The Ted plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, there is no one there who hasn't experienced that God is real. And yet, shortly after the the salvation of Israel, in Numbers 14, this is God's, Summary of the people's response to him. Numbers 14, verse 27. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? And the summary, the tragic summary is, Not one shall come into the promised land where I swore that I would make them dwell. They missed the joyful promises of God because of their grumbling. The people of Israel, that first generation, did not experience the will of God, the promises of God, what God willed and wanted to do for them and in their life and in their generation clear promises, not because it was God's will or he changed his mind. It's because of their grumbling. They said, no thanks, I want out. And eventually God said, okay. It's tough. Grumbling 
as opposed to gratitude, became the sad summary of the people's posture to God. Now, in many cases, what they were grumbling about in the desert was true. And here's where it gets real. What they were grumbling about is true. We're thirsty. We're hungry. We're a little cold. Now, from our perspective, like each time we're like, oh, come on, man, miracles. God responds to your prayers with miracles. You're, you're thirsty. He brought water out of a rock. So come on, people. You're hungry. He provided manna. You're cold. He put a stinking pillar of fire. You want to talk about a bonfire? It's the coolest bonfire in the history of the world so you're not cold at night. And yet they grumbled. But here's the reality. The same exact challenge is before us today. Has not God done enough? Does not the cross itself speak loud enough and cover every cry of the human heart. God, do you love me? God, do you care? God, do you have a future for me? God, can you save a wretch like me? God, would you provide? God, will you take care of me? Every single human cry, every need is answered in the cross, first and foremost. And then more so, Jesus says that whole Luke 12 passage, the summary, which is so beautiful, where he says, it is your Father's good pleasure. Fear not. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you his whole kingdom. That is in response to the specific cries of everyday needs. That's a good passage. It's the parallel to Matthew 6, the whole do not worry. Do not be anxious. Do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. What, what, don't worry about your life in general, the clothes you're going to wear. That, it's that human cry of is God going, does God care? And is he going to provide for my personal needs? So first and foremost, the cross is the answer, yes. But secondly, God says, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes upon yes. Not only am I providing my son that answers every question you have with yes, but Jesus says, but God will also be very personal for you. He will show up in power. Don't be anxious. Fear not what you're going to eat and drink and provide for. Are you provided for? What are you, what are you going to wear? What about your life? I'm so anxious. And the answer to that, Jesus says, is yes, God will be so personal. It's his good pleasure to give you his entire kingdom. He knows what you need before you even ask, and he delights to give it to you. But the challenge is that God summed up the people of Israel's perspective or his perspective on them like this, Numbers 14, 11. How long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all of the signs that I have done among them? And I'm not saying this is not in any way like this is what you do. I'm saying we are no different than the people of Israel in the temptations and the challenges that we face. And who do we want to be? Caleb and Joshua were the ones who shined light, light in the midst of a dark and crooked generation because of the different perspective. They quieted the people at one time and they said, let us go up and occupy that space. We're able to overcome it. We are able to overcome it. We, they said, we, we are able to overcome it. And what's so fascinating to me is that there are two absolutely distinct responses from one people that have the same history with God. They have the same experiences with God's grace, goodness, power, provision, salvation. They have the same present challenges that they're facing, yet they are experiencing life with God from a dramatically different perspective. Caleb, Joshua, they are experiencing gratitude, hope, and confidence in God. Oh, yeah, we're like grasshoppers, but you know what? We can overcome. Versus the others who, hopeless despair, we're like grasshoppers, and we're just going to get slaughtered by these folks who in the, in the promised land. And so despair, hopelessness, grumbling. 
but they have had the exact same experiences in life. They're the same people, same God, same experiences. So how is it possible that they have such different outcomes, such different perspectives? I believe it speaks to the reality that we have a choice on where we will choose to allow our minds to dwell. What we choose to focus on, where we choose to allow our minds to dwell, become our perceived reality. The folks that didn't make it into the promised land, they allowed themselves to, what's the language here? They allowed their minds to dwell so long on on the problems, it became their reality. So grumbling then was the result, and it's the unfruitful focus on the problems and a failure to recognize the grace that was all around them. So the hard things that they were grumbling about were real. They, they, They needed water in the desert. They were thirsty. They needed manna in the desert. They were hungry. They needed fire in the desert. They were cold. It's true that they were like grasshoppers compared to the giants. All of those challenges were real. But they allowed their minds to dwell so long on the challenges that they forgot the grace of God that they were swimming in. All of the good things that God had done in such tangible, experiential ways all of the good things, that's the salvation of Egypt, miracles for crying out loud, all the good things that God was presently doing, you're thirsty, water, you're hungry, manna, you're cold, fire, and then all of the promises that God had given them. Promised land, giants, it's yours. What's the only difference between Caleb and Joshua and these folks? They allowed their minds to dwell on the challenges long enough that it became their reality. They forgot the grace of God that they were swimming in. It's such a a powerful spiritual truth for all of us. And this is where it's, it's a sobering passage but I believe that the the spiritual principle, the truth behind it is just the same today. That if we want to find problems in our life and people around us and in our work and our bosses and and, and imperfections and the people and our schedules and our houses and our family and our friends and our church, if we want to find problems, we can. But there is an absolute spiritual danger that if we allow our minds to sit there, to dwell there, to live there, then the problems will become our reality. They will will just continue to grow and grow and grow until, like the people of Israel, we forgot the grace of God that we're swimming in, that he's saved us and redeemed us and provided for us and given us an unbelievable amount of promises about the future that he has for us. We can forget all of that if we just sit too long in grumbling. Grumbling will, will, will just bring this toxic veil over us that, that, that spiritually cuts us off from being able to just dwell in the grace of God. You, I don't think you can, the, the heart, mind, and spirit are not made to be able to dwell in both places at the same time. If you're dwelling in grumbling, you're not dwelling in gratitude. And if you dwell in grumbling long enough, you're, you're cutting yourself off from being able to bask in the grace of God that you're swimming in from your past, present, and all the way into your future. And so really, gratitude becomes a superpower weapon or say I, I look at the people of Israel and it's like I'm not better than them they're there as Paul says later for our instruction as a, a as a cautionary tale we have the Holy Spirit with us which is a blessing so get in touch with the Holy Spirit rely on the Holy Spirit and say we we, we don't want to lose out on any of the 
the good promises and blessings and power and presence and grace of God that are available for us by dwelling in this negativity, this grumbling. Now, this is not in any way trying to have like that fake it till you make it mindset where you don't recognize the reality of challenges. We're not trying to say pretend that problems don't exist. No, there is, that's a whole nother message, but the Bible is very clear. Recognize that problems exist and face them with courage. Go after them whether it's on a personal level, a corporate level, a relational level, a powers and principalities level, the Bible does not say pretend they don't exist, swipe them under the rug, and, and, and run away. No, that actually is another thing that just makes the problems grow. So it's confront them with courage. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about where, in a sense, you submit yourself to the problem. Oh, this is so hard. It's so bad. I don't like it so much. That's not the victorious, courageous mindset coming under the lordship of the problem. Oh, that was good. Thank you. That's what I needed. Coming under the lordship of the problem and dwelling there. And it's not Lord. It's not Lord. The problem's not Lord. He's Lord. If we sit long enough, though, in negativity and grumbling, we are treating the problem as if it's Lord. And that's where it becomes so seriously spiritually dangerous because we're doing, we're cutting ourselves off from the reality of the grace of God that is with us, that has been with us, that is with us, and that will be with us. And so gratitude becomes a spiritual discipline where we get to renew our minds, practice gratitude to renew our minds to retrain our minds to live in and from the grace of God that is all around us, past, present, and future. So we want to give a couple of practical uh, tools here to, to get into uh, the, the practicing as a spiritual discipline of renewing our minds with gratitude. The Lord gave me two images and I want to share them. The first was a bonfire. And the bonfire was us. It was symbolic of us and our words, our tongues. And the bonfire and that fire and what, whatever gasoline we're putting on that fire, that fire then has the power to alter and change the entire surface of the world around us. It's 100% grounded in Scripture. I'm going to read James. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. A more proper translation would be the tongue is a small member, yet it is extremely powerful. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Now that's the tongue that is partnering with the enemy. It's setting a fire. Well, guess what? With redemption and the blood of Jesus, our tongues can rage with the fire of God that burns down everything that is raised up against him in our lives. And I felt like God gave me another image, a phrase that was really, really powerful about thanksgiving and praise. I think everyone is familiar with the phrase turn on a dime. You know, it's like things are going in a bad direction. And all of a sudden, poof, they turn on a dime. It's like you can do a complete 180, and it's really fast. That radius is tiny. The, 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 uh, the diameter of a dime, it's absolutely tiny. It's tiny. And that turning radius is, whoo, it's all of a sudden, there's a great shift. And I felt like what God said, and I'm going to give the scriptures to back it up, is that Gratitude and thanksgiving give us the power to turn on a dime. 
to shift the situation, to shift the atmosphere around us from one where the enemy is taking over and pummeling and winning to one where the kingdom of God and the God of grace is riding on a white horse as we give thanks and praise and he leads us in victory. He leads us in triumph. So these verses that Casey read, I'm going to read them again. Thanks and praise, gratitude, it's like it unzips heaven. It brings us into his presence. Where is that in the Bible? It's in the Bible. It's awesome. It's awesome. It is a superpower. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Come into his presence with thanksgiving. He is enthroned on the praises of his people. Gratitude and thanksgiving are giving him praise. His presence is immediately there. Heaven is there. His presence is there. Heaven is heaven because it's him. And as soon as we shift our gaze from the problem to the one who promises that all things are possible in him, we turn on a dime, we unzip heaven, we unleash the army of heaven because it's either Psalm 103 or Psalm 104. The angels are described as doing the words of God. As we declare his words, they are listening. They are listening. Hebrews says that they are sent on our behalf, on behalf of those who are to attain salvation. They are here. They are members of God's army. They are enforcing his kingdom. They are awaiting our words of agreement with him. As we shout out his words, they recognize those words. It's almost like they're listening to blaring frequencies of and they're not hearing the commands of God. And then they hear the commands of God. They hear us in faith usher out the praise of God, the gratitude, the gratitude that he talks about in Mark 11, uh, the praise. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and that, and it will be yours. There is a thanksgiving there. Believe that you have received it. That's why Philippians 4 talks about offering up our prayers with thanksgiving and praise so that the peace of God can come over us and fill us. There's a thanksgiving and a praise that is a glorious weapon. It shifts. It shifts the kingdom that is advancing. It shifts. And our words at the same time can shift and bring the advancement of another kingdom when we are partnering with the impossible by looking at how big the giants are instead of what I love to do personally fills my sails. Fill, it just, it's like wind in my sails. I look back at what he's already done. Because when I'm looking at an impossibility, sometimes it's hard to muster that up as much as I'm pressing into God. But we are supposed to feed off what he has already done. Thank you, Jesus. I have seen you do this before. You have done the impossible. I have seen you work the impossible. When my son was in the emergency room and the doctors didn't know what to do and they gave him antibiotics that made this massive infection rage and was calling, causing him crazy Tourette's motor tics in the middle of the night and all day long and he couldn't control his body. He was in seizures. God, what do I do? You came to the rescue. You spoke. You saved. You gave me the recipe of what to do. And my son was delivered and we had a miraculous Christmas. We experienced a miracle. Call to mind the mighty works of God and let the testimony of Jesus be the spirit of prophecy that sets a burning fire 
to the world around us and ushers in the kingdom of heaven as the kingdom of the enemy is demolished. Yeah, okay, your turn. Are we done? I don't know. (laughs) All right, we'll close with just two uh, great verses that bring this home. Don's been... Uh, living it out here in front of you, kind of giving example of what that looks like, but a couple of different ways to be renewing our minds towards gratitude. Second Corinthians is just a great one. Uh, chapter 10, verses 4 and 6. For the weapons, so weapons, these are superpowers, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power divine power, that's superpower. If it's God's power, it's a super one, to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So where is this battle taking place? Your head. (laughs) We destroy arguments, every lofty opinion raised against Christ. Oh, do all this warfare, divine power. Where is this battle? Take every thought captive. The battleground is right here. And that's a, that is a, that's a reality. It's, it's right in here. This is everything Don's talking about, everything we're talking about this morning about fighting for gratitude versus grumbling. It's a spiritual war. That's why Paul, or excuse me, James said, don't be deceived. We could live under a lie. The people of Israel in the, in the, 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 in the desert when they grumbled, 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 they began to live under a deception that God wasn't going to come through. It's like based on everything that God has done for you. Really? Is that real? No, they were living under a lie, a deception that had taken place, even though God had saved them and done miracles and provided for them in miraculous ways and then promised some miracles. They lived under the lie that, oh, nope, God's not going to come through. There, I mean, there's nothing in reality that should have made them think that way. That's a deception. And so that's where, why this gets so poignant and, and important, because there, are, there is a spiritual battle for your mind. Gratitude and grumbling, in a sense, are the fruit where you can assess where are you in that spiritual battle. And so that we have to fight that warfare, we get to be a part of that because it's a real relationship. And God says right here, take every thought captive. And it's so simple. It's, if it's negative, kick it out. It doesn't belong. If it's grumbling, kick it out. It doesn't belong. If it's opposed to the fruit of the Spirit, if it's opposed to the character of God, the promises of God, the past things that God has done in your life, the salvation of God, kick it out. It's, 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 a, it's just a quick, that's the turn on the dime. I feel that negative thought coming in. I feel that grumbling. I feel that bitterness, whatever it might be. And I'm going to just turn on a dime. I'm saying, you are not allowed to dwell here. This is, this is gratitude only zone. And then the second piece of it, it goes right along with it, is dwell on the positive, dwell on the grace, the good gifts that are all around you, and speak gratitude out loud. So Philippians 4, 8, famous verse. But it it has this nice combination of just turn on a dime. When you feel that negativity coming in, the grumbling starting, turn on the dime, kick it out, say, nope, gratitude dwells here. And then where do you put your focus? On good things that God has done. Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about these things. And I love that last phrase, think about these things. The literal translation is, let your mind or choose to put your mind to dwell here. Where is your mind living, dwelling, living, dwelling? This is saying, it's so simple, choose and God's grace will be with you. This is a fight. Turn on a dime away for neg- negativity and say, no, I choose to live focused on the good focused on the grace that is all around me, that I'm swimming in grace, past, present, and future. My life is all about grace. There is good gifts all around me. Every good thing I have in life is a gift from God, and it's not stopping. That fountain will keep flowing. So I'm going to turn from negativity and grumbling, and I'm going to dwell. I choose 
to only allow my mind to dwell and live on good, and I will therefore speak it out in gratitude. And that brings us all the way back to that Colossians 3.17. So whatever I'm doing, gratitude's happening. So I'm focused on the good, and then I'm going to speak it out. Speaking it out is important. That, that's, in a way, like that, that, that helps to renew the mind. It seals the deal. It makes it more powerful. It's a declaration of prayer and praise. That's why the psalmist is saying, come into his, into his courts shouting thanksgiving, singing thanksgiving. There's something about speaking out that gratitude that is part of that warfare. That, that, it's the James 3 she talked about. You can set a blaze in either direction. Our words are powerful. God created the world with words. You create with words. You partner with a kingdom one way or another with words. You can feel it. I know create with words is a little bit strong, right? But just check your life. (laughs) Just check your life. You can create a fire of hell, James says, or you can partner with that fire of heaven. That says the testimony of God. So I want to close with a challenge. And as we go into this season of gratitude, I want to challenge us. It's in your lift notes on the back. And we'll close with this idea here. If you didn't get a lift notes, grab one on the way out. I want to challenge us all to a, a season of celebration of Thanksgiving. It's a practicing. It's a putting into practice of gratitude. Here it is. Each day, starting today, Between now and Thanksgiving, ask the Lord to bring to mind someone in your life and something specific about them that you are thankful or grateful for, and then you tell them. So I kind of felt like the Lord led us to this in in prayer, and this brings a lot of things kind of in in a convergence as we've been digging deep the last number of weeks into the power of relationships the relationship up with God that we have, the relationship in with life-giving community, the relationship out with the lost, hurting, and broken world. Life is about relationships. That's the highest currency in God's kingdom. And then combining that with gratitude. Man, watch what this will do in you and to the relationships around you. This is part of this is becoming that people of encouragement that the Bible talks about. Where as we see the, the gold in others and we see people with God's heart and we speak to them about it, it literally puts courage in us. And so we have the privilege of speaking that to others. This, this, this is going to be powerful. I can feel it. I can feel it. It, was a, it came in prayer and, and I trust the, that the Holy Spirit is, is on this. And, so, and what it does for us is this is a renewing and a training of our mind to think with gratitude. Because the reality is, every single person you share gratitude with, you could probably also share something that annoys you about them, or a problem that they have, or an imperfection that they have, right? That's because everybody, like no one's perfect. That's the reality. That's why it's hard in relationship. But again, it's not like we're saying ignore the problems. If you need to be courageous and talking about something, do it. That's a whole other message, though. This focus right now is, God, would you put on my heart a person and, and with your heart for them, remind me of something that I'm grateful for. How are they a conduit of your grace? How do I see more of your goodness through them? And share it with them. Oh, it's going to make their day. You know it is, as it makes yours when people share that kind of stuff with you. But you speaking it out loud, which might even be a little bit uncomfortable, you're training your mind to think with gratitude. You're training your mind to look at other people with gratitude. You're training your mind to go throughout each day and, and being gratitude the place where your mind dwells. So if you're kind of wondering, like, well, how do I even start? I gave an example. It's the last thing here. This is a text message. This is an email. This is a talk to them in person. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It's all going to be a victory. Something like this. Hi, Don, I'm practicing gratitude in this season of Thanksgiving. I wanted to let you know that I'm grateful for you. Specifically, I'm grateful that you dot, dot, dot. So this is where, keep it simple. This is not, you don't have to come up with a hundred different things. This is just something specific that you are grateful for about them. Share it. And then thank you for that. I count it as part of God's grace in my life. 
Something simple like that. Use your own words, but there's a little example to start with it. But I absolutely believe that this is going to help be how we put into practice this dwelling on gratitude and do it all the way through Thanksgiving Day. And I promise you will see God doing beautiful things in your mind to dwell on gratitude. All right. As we've talked about, there's such a significant power that comes in gratitude and thanksgiving and worship. It's all, it, those things can't really be separated from me. Worship is to be our posture and everything. It's, and I feel like as we go forward in this week, just practicing that turning on a dime, taking those thoughts captive and turning on a dime, coming into agreement with him, with his ways, with his heart, and giving these words of encouragement and affirmations, let's also take that one step further even and combine that with us sharing our heart for a person and also even listening to what the Lord is saying, which almost always lines up. You know, the Lord will bring to mind, oh, this is how God, God is, pours out his kindness through you, his mercy through you, his compassion through you. I felt like God gave me an image as Casey was sharing this just simple act of gratitude and sharing that with others. That is, that is so powerful for bringing the kingdom. Our world is all about negativity. What's strange is our culture is almost just imbibed with negativity spewed about others and this very strange self-idolatry and narcissism almost. This is not God's way. Knowing who we are and having a healthy identity is so important. And one of the primary ways that God brings that to earth and nurtures each of our souls with that healthy identity is through the body of Christ around us, seeing with his eyes, and as we take him up on his words to encourage one another daily, encourage one another daily, that's a command. And this comes under that. Release the gratitude and the thanks and the praise to God as we, this is praise to God as we say, look how beautiful he made you. You, you radiate with the kingdom of God. I love you. This is who he made you to be. There's so much power in that. And last was an image that I felt like he gave me. As we step out and we do this, we will be bringing the glory of his kingdom, there was a magnifying glass image that I felt like he gave me. I saw a picture of a magnifying glass, and it was, what does a magnifying glass do when you go out, you know, like little kids setting fires in the sun? You put a magnifying glass out. So as we release the gratitude, as we hone in not on the bad that our culture and the enemy is trying to do, but as we hone in on that he is the father of heavenly lights, and every good gift is from him. And we praise him for the good beauty in each person. We are taking a magnifying glass. And that sun, which is representative of him, that which is a big ball of fire, as we take that magnifying glass, it literally, what does it do? When you take a magnifying glass to the sun, it brings the firepower down to earth. And you set a fire. You set a fire. And that same glory, uh, burning, glorious sun is now, the same fire is now raging and burning a heavenly fire on earth. And I felt like that was an encouragement from God that as we are walking in faith, as we are learning to take every thought captive, as we are learning to turn on a dime and say no to those thoughts that are complaining and negativity and focusing on what the enemy is doing and saying yes to God in gratitude and thanksgiving that we are releasing 
the fire of God by magnifying him as well as we, we will be releasing the fire of God into the individual lives as we just share the encouragement and the gratitude for who they are. Amen. All right, let's pray. Dance a new dance.